open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It's good to be here this morning and good to be able to worship our God on this first day of the week. We mentioned in our Bible class again this morning about even the day that we come together is by design. Our Lord was raised on the first day of the week. We see the apostles using that as the example, giving us that example of coming together on the first day of the week. And it's brought all the way down to us here today that we can come together and worship our God. What a privilege and an honor it is to be able to do so. I want to speak this morning about the idea of, of being blessed. We just sang that song, Count Your Blessings. It's one of our favorites around our household, and one that we, that we don't take lightly. We are truly blessed. We have so much to be thankful for, and we are so truly blessed in our spiritual life to be able to, to call our God our Father. What a blessing that is. And we are able to do that through uh, His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, this morning I want to talk a little bit about this idea of being blessed. And I want to start here in Matthew chapter 5. And I want to talk a little bit about the Beatitudes that we find here. The very first part of the Sermon on the Mount that our Lord gives. And I want just a little primer course here on what it means that the Beatitudes. Um, the word actually comes from, um, from the Latin, um, that is beata, or beate, meaning happiness or blessedness. It's the, it's the Latin word for that. And the reason that we, that it's subheaded probably in your own Bibles there about the Beatitudes is because it comes from the Latin Vulgate, and the Latin Vulgate was, um, an early Latin uh, translation of the Bible around the fourth century or so, so it's quite ancient. But it comes from that, so the Latin word there, beatitude, it comes from the idea uh, of, the, of the word bless, which is beata, in each one of these, uh, of these verses. And then the suffix, the tude there at the end, meanings the, means the condition of. So it's beata tude not be attitude. Sometimes I think we, and I'm guilty of it too, we think about the attitudes um, that are here, but it's not that. Uh, it's actually the, if we put that together, what it means is it's, it's a blessed condition. So the beata meaning blessed or happiness, and then the tude at the end of it means the condition. So it's, it's, it's a blessed condition is what beatitudes means. So, so these eight here, are uh, the blessed condition of each one of these, uh, the meek and, and, and those who hunger for thirst and righteousness. Those, that, that's the blessed condition that these are in. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about the ones that we, that we see here. The first is, is blessed is the poor in spirit. You know, what, what does that mean that we're poor in spirit? Well, what it means is that we, that we recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that at one time we were sinners. And when, upon that recognition, 
what really leads into the next one is blessed are those who mourn. Because we're in that condition, in that poor spirit, we recognize that, that we're mourning over that poor condition. And, and what's further is that we'll do something about it. And so blessed is that that are poor in spirit and those who mourn as such. And then Jesus talks about blessed are the meek or blessed are the gentle. You know, this is one of those that's, that's often uh, misunderstood because it means if we think about someone who's meek, we think about someone who is just run over, someone who will just lay down and do nothing. But really the word there means a, a humble strength. You know, it takes a lot to, to stand up to someone in a, in a humble and gentle way. It's easy to, to fight. It's easy to, to lose your cool. It's easy to, to sink to their level. It's much harder to be meek. And it says that those who are meek or those who are gentle, they shall inherit the earth. That's, that's opposite from what the world will teach us, isn't it? You have to be aggressive. You have to be... Um, Take the take the the world by the by the throat and and make it yours. Jesus says the opposite. You need to be gentle. You need to have that humble kind of strength. And if you do, those are the kind that will inherit the earth. And we know exactly what Jesus is talking about there. It's not it's not the the success and in, in the in the earthly sense. It's it's the ones who live in peace. The ones who live in the spiritual kingdom. That's what he's talking about. Next, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And you know, that idea there, uh, hunger, for, for, for thirst and, for hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are seeking knowledge. And what's so great about this one, it says, they shall be satisfied. So the idea, if you hunger and you thirst for knowledge, you'll find it in God's word. That can be quenched. That thirst can be quenched. That hunger can be satisfied. And God's given us his word in which to do that. He says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So if, if we um, are merciful to someone, and that's, that's, that's a kindness when we, we could exercise control, you know, it's a kindness over someone who we could, we could beat down or someone we, we might get something out of them or get something from them. But when you show them mercy, look what Jesus says, they shall receive mercy. That's the kind of attitude that God wants us to have. He wants us to be merciful to others and in, in, in so doing, he's merciful to us because that's the way we ought to be towards each other. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Whether that's a reference to um, eternity, absolutely, it could be. Certainly fits that. It also is, is the idea of what we see when we are, uh, are, are pure in heart. We recognize and can see the kind of people that God wants us to be. And in, that's, in that way we see God, because God is that way towards us. And so when we're pure in heart, when we're, um, as James says in chapter 1, verse 27, keep oneself unstained or unspotted by the world, you know, we keep ourselves pure. 
And in so doing, we have that glimpse of what God wants us to be. We get to see God in that way. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This one's tough sometimes, isn't it? It's tough to be the peacemaker sometimes. Sometimes it's easier just to jump in there and in the fight and get in and get in there with it. It's much harder to be the peacemaker. But that's what God expects of us. It says they shall be called sons of God. Again, there's that the family. There's the, 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 the membership of the kingdom. That's what God wants of us. Sons of God. How blessed it is to be called that. Be called a child of God. He says there, those, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You look back up in verse 3, it says, the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, down verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that a nice book ending to these? The kingdom of heaven. We ought to understand that we're going to be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If we want to live uh, a life to Christ, we have to expect that we're going to be persecuted. And we can see that in all forms um, in, in, in our own lives and others, and especially this time and age in which we live. Christians are being persecuted. And not just, in around, not just around the world, as we often say. We, we see the crackdowns in, in, in dictata- dic- dictatorial um, countries. It's really ramping up in China. They're asking people to denounce their belief in Jesus. And right here in our own country, there are, there are states and localities that are preventing people by force of law to not worship their God. And so we often think about, well, I'm glad we're not persecuted in this country. We have to be very careful that we don't lose that as much as we can do. But in the end, we know that God is in control of all that. We won't thwart God's plans. His plans will be carried out. But let's not be uh, unknowing about the persecution that can happen even in this country. Let's be aware of that. All those who desire to live in godly uh, will be persecuted, to live a godly life. So those are some ways in which we are blessed. Our Lord points to those as he begins his Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about there again the kingdom of heaven. And how blessed we are to be in the kingdom of heaven. I want to take us to another point. Let's go to Psalm 32. Go to Psalm 32. Again, if, if, if you're an aspiring preacher and want something to preach on, you can preach on this subject all day long, being blessed. There's so much that we could, that we could um, look to and, and examples. I just picked a couple here, and, I, and this one in particular because we've been studying on Wednesday night about King David. And this is a psalm of David, Psalm 32. And in this psalm, he talks about the idea of being blessed. And look there in Psalm 32. It says there a Psalm of David. So we know we can attribute this to him. And he says, How blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So how blessed is the man who, whose transgression, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So how wonderful the blessed state of, of someone who has been forgiven of their sins. It goes on to say, in a little bit different light, the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's hard to know exactly when the circumstances under which this psalm was, was written, whether it was written about David's great sin with Bathsheba or not, it's just the, or, or if it's just about some other sin, what we see is it shows us what unconfessed sin can do to us. Look at verse 3. It says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So as long as that sin went unconfessed, and again, we don't know exactly uh, under the circumstances David penned this psalm, but obviously there was some state of sin which, we, which he had not confessed for a period of time. And he says, while that was happening, um, my body wasted away, my groaning was all day long. Day and night the hand was heavy upon me. He felt that that pressure upon him of this unconfessed sin. But what's so wonderful is what he says here in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to thee. In my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou didst forgive, uh, did forgive the guilt of my sin. So while that pressure was on him, he felt it. And it was physically draining to him. But then... He, he acknowledged his sin. And God forgave him. And so now we go back to the beginning where he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So he's in that blessed state because he's confessed his sin. And God has forgiven him. The man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. That, how blessed is that one where the charge of sin is no longer on your ledger? God has taken that away. And under the old law, it was taken away, or, or it was forgiven, let me say more correctly. The sin was forgiven, but under Jesus, not only is, for, is it forgiven, but it's remembered no more. And that's what the law of Christ does for us. Forgiven and remembered no more. And then that state about uh, a man whose spirit, there is no deceit. When we get to that point where when we sin, we've, we've asked God for forgiveness and we're not trying to deceive our God, which we never can do anyway. But we're not trying to, uh, to live our life in such a way that we think we can get away with sin. We need to be in that state where we, we understand and appreciate that God has forgiven us of sin. And not hold it back, as, as David says here, when I kept silent about my sin and I wasted away. Let's not keep silent about our sin. When we sin, let's ask God for forgiveness. And how blessed we are to be in that state. 
So I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about how it is that we become blessed. How do we get such blessings? How is it that we can um, enjoy the blessings that are being spoken of here by our own Lord and, and Matthew 5 and by David and others? So how do we get there? How do we get to that, uh, that blessed condition? Well, is it, is it by works that we do that? Go with me to Romans chapter 4. Is it, and by works we mean is there something that I can do, uh, that I can perform, uh, that, will, that will put me into that blessed state? Is there something I can do at my own hand? In Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes here, he says, What shall we say then, that Abraham, our, fa- our forefather, according to the flesh, has found... For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So he's talking about um, what Abraham did and and the actions that Abraham took. Is that what saved him? Verse 3, it says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So what, what Paul is talking about is talking about the faith that God, that, that Abraham had, not the works. Verse 4, now to the one whom works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but what it is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned to him as righteousness. So if, you, if we're trying to work for our salvation, we're not going to get it. If we're trying to, of our own accord to do things that, that we'll be saved from, we don't have any reason to boast before God. Either we do the things that God asks us, which we're going to talk about here in a moment, those faithful kind of works, which he expects us to do. And if we do that, we can't boast to God about those. And outside of that, if we try to work out a, a salvation that is outside of what God prescribes for us, we're not going to get there either. It's not Abraham's works. It says him, he believed in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Verse 6, it says, Just as David also speaks of the blessings upon the man in whom God uh, God reckons righteousness apart from the works. Listen, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So Paul uses that scripture right there from Psalm 32 that we read to help us to understand that the blessed state that we are to be in is because we believe in God. It's the faith that we have. Not that we're going to work it out of of our own accord, but it's a belief in God. So it's all faith then. So if we're going to have this blessed state, if, if, if that's the condition we're going to be in, then it's just faith. Look over in Romans chapter 10. Now in Romans chapter 10, Paul's talking all about faith. Chapter 4 there, he's talking about faith as well, but he was putting it in the context of of working, of doing something. In the context of chapter 10 here, Paul's talking about having faith, simply. Verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for them, for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. He's talking about the Jews who wanted to, to, to be saved by the law, and, and they were zealous about the letter of the law, but 
they miss the part about the, the spirit of the law, what's behind it. Verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who, what, believes. Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteous based on faith speaks thus. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That is to say, this is what you are. This is the saving grace. This is faith. That is through Christ Jesus. Verse 9, that is, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It's what's in our heart that's important. It goes on to say the scripture, um, who believes in the scripture will not be disappointed neither Jew nor Greek. And so, verse 14, he says, How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings, of good thing, glad tidings of good things. So we've got to hear. You can't have a faith if you don't know what you're being faithful to. So it's about hearing. Verse 16, however, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So verse 17, here it is. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. When we're talking about how we get into that blessed state. We're not going to be able to work our way into it by works that we think will be pleasing to God. We're going to get there by faith. We're going to get there by hearing the word of God and believing in it. And just like with, with Abraham, it will be reckoned to us as righteousness. But there's one thing we have to add to this and understand about this. It's not works. It's not faith only. It's not works only. It's faith along with works. Let's go to James 2. We know this, don't we? James puts it all together. Paul's talking about works there with Abraham. Talking about faith there in chapter 10. James helps us to put those two things together in the proper context. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. In chapter 10, Paul's talking all about faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He's talking all about faith. In chapter 4 there, he's talking about the things that Abraham did, about taking up that, that sacrifice of his own son and being willing to do that. 
But that was a work that was prescribed by God. James, like I said, puts the two together. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Verse 18, someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. You see that? You believe, that's fine. But so do the demons. The demons know who Jesus is. The demons know who Jehovah God is. And they shudder. So what's the, what's the formula here? Verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you f- foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So we've got to have both. James tells us we've got to have both. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, the son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works And as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture fulfilled says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, Abraham had the faith, and it was recognized to him as righteousness, but what did he do as a result of the faith? He was ready to offer up his son and sacrifice. He was ready to do the works that God had prescribed. Without faith, it is... It is impossible to please God, as was mentioned in, in Hebrews 11. Faith without works has no, uh, if it has no works, is dead. Show me your faith without works, I will show you my faith by my works. That's what Abraham did. He showed him his faith by his works. And then verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So if we want to be in the blessed state, We've got to have the, the, the faithful workings of a child of God. But let's remember this. Always remember this. Let's go back to Psalms. Psalm 51 now. I mentioned that we, we, in Psalm 32, it was a, a psalm of David. Psalm 51 is a, is a psalm of David also. But we can pinpoint this one. Psalm 32 is, is, could be more just generally speaking about sin or about a sin or some kind of sin. Psalm 51 lets us know exactly what sin is being spoken of. Beginning of Psalm 51, and the directions there says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, for when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. We know exactly the circumstances under which this psalm was written. So let's think about that. We, we studied this recently in our Wednesday night class. Here's David, King David, a popular king. He, ha- he was a, a warrior king. He was, he was handsome. He was beloved of his, uh, uh, from his, um, the people of the kingdom. And yet, he was there alone, walking around on his roof, and there was Bathsheba. And all the circumstances that unfolded after that. And Nathan had to come to him and tell him, had to convict him of his sin. And so David pins this psalm in, in reaction to that. It says there, verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. 
Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned and I have done what is evil in thy sight. So, thou, so that thou art justified when thou dost speakest and blameless when thou dost judge. He recognized after Nathan came and told him about his sin, he was convicted of it. And he says there, I know my transgressions. And he's pleading with God to forgive him of that. And we know from the story that Nathan told him, you are forgiven of your sin. And so his pleading uh, came to God. And God forgave him of his sin. But let's look and see about what verse 16 and 17 tells us about the, the condition of the heart that one ought to have. It's one thing to offer animal sacrifices and to offer the sacrifices. We come here on the first day of the week, we offer sacrifices, the fruit of our lips, the, the things that we say, those, and we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as Paul talks about in Romans 12. So there are sacrifices that we as Christians make. But they can be empty also. Just like the, the offerings under the old law, the blood of bulls and goats, that God is never delighted in that. That's the mechanism by which he prescribed that sin is to be forgiven. But what he wants more than anything is the attitude, the, the condition of the heart behind those sacrifices that are being offered. It's not the blood of the bulls and goats that take away sin. What is it? Verse 16, Thou dost not delight in the sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offerings. But wait, those things have been prescribed by God. The sin offering, the guilt offering, the wave offering, the, uh, the heave offering, all those things that God has prescribed. Yes, he's prescribed those. And the burnt offerings as well. But it's not those that redeem us from sin. Look what verse 17 says. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. So in all of this, what we're talking about, it's the motivation by which we offer the sacrifices. We can come here on a Sunday morning and, and sit in the, in the pews and, and nod our heads and go along with the things that we do and take of the Lord's Supper and give back all those things that we do. Check that off the list. But if we don't have a broken spirit and a contrite heart, those sacrifices are being offered in vain. Thou don't, David says, Thou doesn't delight in the sacrifices, otherwise I would give it. We're not pleased with burnt offerings. That's not what God is, is pleased with. He's pleased with those who bring those things to him with a broken spirit, who bring those sacrifices to him with a contrite heart. That's what God is pleased with. I want to leave you with this proverb. He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Proverbs 16 and verse 20. So if we want to be blessed, if we want to have those from the Beatitudes and what what David writes there in Psalm 32 about the man whose sins are covered. We need to trust in the Lord. 
The proverb here is very simple, isn't it? It sums up what we've been talking about. Give attention to the word, we'll find good. Remember, we talked about those who thirst for hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Same idea here, giving attention to the word, we'll find it. If we're thirsting after what is right, what is good, it's in God's word. We can find it. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So we can, we can read this and we can be a Bible scholar and we can know every character and, and every uh, circumstance uh, of the Bible. But if we don't trust in the Lord, there's going to be those empty sacrifices. And then the other is true as well. If we only are, are interested in uh, the letter of the law and give no attention to or I beg your pardon, if we only give, if we think it's okay to, uh, to only be concerned with um, our heart and, and, and whatever we do is okay and, and God will be pleased and ignore the letter of the law, that won't do us any good either. Jesus talks about that in that Sermon on the Mount there when he talks about those who would come to him and say, uh, Lord, didn't we... Uh, cast out demons in your name and offer sacrifices in your name and, and prophesy in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So that won't get us there either. But what will be, what will be our, our, our saving grace, so to speak, is our faithful works to God, doing the things that he has prescribed. That's what will get us in that blessed state so that we can enjoy the blessings that we have here on earth and look forward to that time when we'll be truly blessed to be in the presence of our God for eternity.